Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, let me just add to what Shelly uh, mentioned in the uh, announcements there. I just want to really encourage you to uh, be a part of our uh, great day of service on Saturday. Uh, you know, it's just a core value of who we are around here uh, is serving our community. Uh, we understand that uh, if you want people to listen to what you have to say, you have to earn the right to be heard. And the first step in earning the right to be heard is serving and showing people that you care and that you love. And so uh, we want to serve our community. I encourage you to be part of that. Uh, there are a number of ways you can be involved. Or you notice I think there's a blank at the bottom that says, I've got my own idea, and that's great. We just want you to go serve this Saturday in some way the people around you to say, hey, we care, and we're doing this because God loves you. Uh, Fox News reported um, four or five years ago, Fox News reported the story of Tim Shaw, who was a uh, British radio host. Uh, he was known for doing a number of kind of wild things on the air, and uh, one particular evening he was on the air, and he was interviewing this calendar girl. And in the midst of the interview, he says to the calendar girl on the air for everybody to hear, he says, you know, I'd leave my wife and two kids for you. Now, his wife was listening that night, and she was, she was fit to be tied. You know, she was tired of his on-air antics. She knew maybe he didn't mean it, but she was tired of him disrespecting their family. So she decided she was going to get him back. And so she went to eBay and decided she would list on eBay his Lotus sports car worth about $45,000. She started the, the buy it now price at $1. There were a couple of stipulations. She said that um, if you're going to buy it, uh, this uh, deal has to be done and the car has to be gone in the next two to three hours by the time my husband gets home. So if you're interested in purchasing it, I have the registration. My name's on the registration. I'll sign it over to you, but it's got to happen in the next like two hours. Well, it wasn't just minutes before there was a bid and somebody agreed to purchase and within a very short time they had come and they signed the registration over, and away they drove in his sports car. Now, I can't imagine the scene uh, when he came home that evening. Can you? I'm guessing he wanted some revenge even back for the revenge that she had gotten on him. I came across a website this week uh, called Revenge Unlimited, and it's filled with stories about how people have gotten revenge and filled with ideas that if you need, you need to seek revenge, Here's a whole list of ways. I'm not really recommending the site. There are all kinds of things there, things you can actually buy, I guess. And uh, But it does say this. Uh, I noticed this. It says, by entering this site, you take responsibility for your own actions. And you know what? That's true. When we choose, if we were to choose to seek revenge, we take responsibility for our own actions. And today I want to spend a little bit of time talking about how God sees the whole idea of revenge when we feel like we have been betrayed. You know, revenge is one of life's great temptations. And whether you have been betrayed by a spouse or a friend or a parent or a business partner, a sibling, bitterness leaves us feeling hurt. It leaves us seething with anger sometimes. It leaves us wanting to strike back, to get even, to get some revenge. And so I want to look at that this morning and how we deal with those emotions. Um, we're in this series called Awake, and we're wrapping it up today. And so far in this series, we have been reminded that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was God screaming so loudly at us that I am for you. God is for you. In week two, we were reminded that I can place my trust in God, and if I do, I don't have to let worry control my life. Uh, last week, uh, an incredible morning around here, and we talked about God is bigger than our addiction. And it was so encouraging to see so many of you open your hearts and let the Spirit of God work in you and to come 
and to openly confess to some people and ask for prayer uh, in help in overcoming your addiction. And I, I just want to encourage you. That was uh, such a good moment for our church. And uh, thank you for responding in that way. And I want to encourage you that, uh, you know, it's not a one-day battle. I, I realize it is an ongoing, everyday struggle. And I want you to continue to remember, you do whatever you can do, and then you trust God to do the rest. And we're here to continue to love and encourage you on your journey of putting those addictions and sin habits in the rearview mirror of your life. Today, let's talk about how do we awake from betrayal. And the place I think to do that is to look at a story about King David in the Old Testament. Uh, in fact, if you brought your Bible or your smartphone or iPad, why don't you find your way to 1 Samuel chapter 24. I want you to read this for yourself. And as you're finding your way to 1 Samuel 24, let me kind of paint the picture and give you the background about the story. King David is the same David who killed the giant Goliath. And maybe you remember that story. Saul was king over Israel at the time. And Saul and his army had come up in battle against this incredible giant. And Saul and his strong fighting men were paralyzed in fear. And there was this long standoff between Saul's army and the giant Goliath. And finally David, as a young boy, shows up one day with his five stones and his slingshot and his faith and a really big God. And he says, I'll take down that giant. And he slays the giant. And at that point, Saul sort of welcomes David into his palace, into his household. And uh, they develop quite this relationship. And David continues to serve this Saul, sometimes playing his harp when he has terrible headaches. And as David gets older then, he becomes a fighting man for Saul and he leads the military into victory after victory after victory. Not for David's glory, always because David was serving the king, the master, the anointed one of God. David has a great heart about it all. Somewhere along the way, though, the people of Israel begin to sing this song. They sing, Saul has killed his thousands, David has killed his tens of thousands. And the first time that Saul hears that little tune, he has this fit of rage and jealousy. And this jealousy over what the people are saying about David and his heroics and his popularity just gets right through his heart. And it eats away at him and eats away at him. And one day, when David is in his throne room, Saul actually picks up a javelin, and as hard as he can, he throws it across the room trying to kill David because he is so, so jealous of David's popularity. Well, David avoids that, and Saul tries a few more times to kill him, and ultimately, David ends up on the run, fleeing for his life, hiding in caves, all because Saul, who David has done nothing to hurt, has done nothing but support and help. Saul turns on him. He betrays him. Now, you know what? Everyone in our culture would say, well, if David gets the chance, if David gets just the slightest chance, he ought to get some revenge. He, he ought to get an ounce of justice. He ought to get even. He ought to strike back for what Saul has done to him. But I want you to see how David responds in this story beginning in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. It says this, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of Angadi. Now, this place where David is, is on the, the west shore of the Dead Sea. And it is a place where you would find a lot of mountainous caves, deep caves, as we'll soon discover. Verse 2, so Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. Now, notice Notice how many men he takes. Not 30 guys. Not 300 guys. 
He takes 3,000 men to go after David. And I think that shows you the depth of Saul's jealousy and hatred for David at this moment. The depth of his betrayal of this faithful servant named David. Verse 3. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And I love the Bible. Listen to the frankness, the honesty here. And Saul went in to relieve himself. And it's talking exactly about what you think. Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. Uh, I mean, picture that. Well, I mean, don't picture it too much, but can you, can you get it? Verse 4. Or, or it says then, David and his men were far back in the cave. So do you get the picture here? Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. David and his men, it just happens. Maybe it doesn't just happen. They're in the very same cave. It must have been a deep cave because they're hiding far enough back that Saul, as he relieves himself, has no idea that they're there. And you're thinking, Here, here's David's chance, right? Here's David's moment. Verse 4. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when He said to you, I will give you your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. I mean, his friends are all saying, David, this is it. God's given you the chance. You've got a chance to get your revenge right now. <laughs> then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He doesn't inflict any damage on Saul. He just cuts off a corner of his robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. Now, what's that all about? Well, it was a custom of their time that if you harmed even a piece of the clothing of the king, you were showing a form of disrespect. And immediately, David begins to feel some guilt, some guilt because he is showing disrespect for the Lord's anointed, for Saul, his king, his master. Verse 6, he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. He's still calling him his master, even after all that Saul has done to him. The Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. And we would all look at this situation and say, wait a minute. David has the perfect opportunity, the perfect chance to get even, I mean, to strike back. And I'll be honest, as I read this story, there is part of me that wants a little like Jack Bauer moment, you know? Go ahead, David. Slice his throat. Take care of him right there. Do it. Get rid of him. And David could have certainly on a human level have justified his actions, couldn't he? I mean, after all, Saul had tried to kill him at least three times. And David was living this life on the run, living it in caves, all because of Saul. And, and certainly... I think there had to be a part of David that wanted Saul dead. I mean, after all, the accusations that Saul made about him had to hurt. The, the betrayal of Saul towards David had to bring pain to his life. I mean, he had to be, his life was messed up. He was miserable on the run. Have you ever been there? Betrayed by someone else? Have you ever felt those feelings and wanted to strike back? You know what David does? David does exactly what all of us should do. He leaves it all in the hands of God. He doesn't strike back himself. 
He leaves it all in the hands of God. Now here's what happens after this. David and Saul both exit the cave. Saul first. David follows after him. But David, when he follows after him, doesn't follow in a form of attack. You know, David, as he exits the cave, he calls out the Saul's name, but then he actually bows down to his king. And he says to the king, I'm not out to hurt you. I'm not trying to get even. I've never wanted to do any harm to you. And then listen to what David says in verse 12. He says, may the... What's the word there? What is it? Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. Just want to make sure you guys are actually paying attention. May the Lord judge between you and me. And may the... What's the word? Lord, avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. David says to Saul, I'm leaving it all in the hands of God. Getting justice, trying to get even, trying to get revenge is not up to me. It is up to God. Our tendency is to take it in our own hands, isn't it? I'll extract my own justice. I'll get my own revenge. David says to Saul, I'm leaving it all in the hands of God. And that's a good place to leave it. I notice a couple of things about what David says to Saul as they exit the cave. First, David proclaims his own innocence, doesn't he? Again, he says, hey, you know, I'm not out to hurt you, Saul. I'm not trying to get even. I've never intended to do you any harm. And I think it's okay for us when we find ourselves in those situations in the same kind of way to proclaim our innocence, to try to clear up the misunderstanding. But I want you to also notice what David does not do. David does not start listing off all of the ways that Saul has hurt him. There is no litany of all of the pain that Saul has caused David. There's no list. There's no list. It's interesting when you read in the New Testament, there is a description in 1 Corinthians of the kind of love that we are to have for other people. The kind of love that, that I as a Christ follower should demonstrate towards other people. And, and you know what one of the characteristics of that kind of love is? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13.5 that that kind of love, the kind of love that I am to have for other people, keeps no record of wrongs. There's no list. There's no list. James Broderick is an author and he has written The Progress of the Jesuits, but I'm sure it's not a book on your bookshelf. And in this kind of old book, he writes about uh, Pope Pius IV, which again, you probably don't really care about, but he says a very interesting thing about him that has application to us. Listen to what he writes about Pope Pius. He says, he never forgot a slight done to him. And that was his fundamental weakness. He might appear to bury the hatchet, but he always marked where the hatchet was buried. Sound familiar to your life? You know, we use that old phrase, I'll bury the hatchet. In other words, I'll, I'll forget what you've done to me. I'll forgive and move on. But you know, a lot of times we're like Pope Pius, aren't we? We appear to have buried the hatchet, but we know exactly where we buried it. And there are an awful lot of times that we go back and we dig it up. You know, and in fact, when it comes to us, we're pretty good at keeping some lists, aren't we? In fact, this is about the size of box it usually takes to keep our list in, doesn't it? 
I mean, when you think about the ways that people have hurt you in the past, you've got a, you've got a list. In fact, you've got a file box full of lists. Lists that you hang on to. And every once in a while when that person hurts you again, or when you feel betrayed by someone else, you pull out the box and you start going back through the list. You've got a record of the wrongs that have been done against you. We need to put the list away. You see, the problem with having a list is that we will never ultimately really leave it all in the hands of God because as long as we've got the list, we keep pulling the list back out and reading over the list. And as long as we keep making it fresh like that, as long as we keep reading the list, we never really leave it all in the hands of God. And what David demonstrated for us is the way that we deal with betrayal is we leave it in the hands of God. Now there's a question that I have as I read this story. And the question is, where did David get the strength of character to respond that way? Where did David get the strength of character to say, I'm just going to leave it all in God's hands. I don't need to get my own revenge. I think that at least part of the answer is found in a psalm that David wrote, Psalm 57. It is a psalm that David wrote. We read in the subtitle, David wrote this very psalm while he was hiding in a cave from Saul. Now, I don't know if he penned it on this very day, but somewhere during the course of time while he was fleeing from Saul, he penned these words, hiding in a cave one day. And so with that picture in mind, I want you to picture David in his cave, fearing that Saul is after him having all those feelings of betrayal in his heart. And he writes these words in Psalm 57, beginning in verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me. Or help me, God. Help me. For in you my soul takes refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. David says, My source of protection is God. That in spite of anyone's betrayal, in spite of what Saul has done, my eyes, my protection is found in God. How about you? What's your source of protection? If it's anything other than God, you'll have a struggle dealing with the hurt of betrayal. It says this in verse 2. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. Now again, remember, David's on the run. David is in fear of Saul at this point. He's still dealing with the emotions of betrayal. And he says, I know God's got a purpose for my life. In spite of Saul's betrayal, in spite of what anyone else might do to me, I know that God's got a purpose for my life and I believe God's still going to accomplish His purpose for my life. And even when we find ourselves in the midst of the emotions of betrayal, remind yourself, God's got a purpose for your life and He can still fulfill that purpose despite the pain that you feel today. Look what happened to David. David ultimately becomes one of the greatest kings Israel has ever known. As he rises in power, he accumulates incredible wealth and power. And in fact, later in life, God would say of David, He would say, David is a man after my own heart. I wonder what would have happened if on this particular day in this cave, David would have chosen to take revenge himself. 
Do you think the story of David's life would have ended up quite differently? I'm only speculating, but I think it probably would have. If David had taken revenge into his own hands at this point in his life, I think the outcome of his life would be vastly different from the story that we read today. Listen to verse 3. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends His love and His faithfulness. David says, even in the midst of all of the emotions that I feel right now, I am trusting in the love and the faithfulness of God. I am in the midst of lions, verse 4. I lie among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. I think he's talking about Saul and his army. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all of the earth. David's more concerned about the glory of God than he is his own pain. They spread a a net for my feet. I I bowed down in distress. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. And then he says this in verse 7, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. God, my heart is sure that You are my protector. God, You are my strength. You are my source of peace. My heart, God, is steadfast in that. In spite of the pain that I feel, in spite of the betrayal, God, I am trusting in You because I believe in Your faithfulness. I believe in Your love. God, I believe that You can be counted on. And it's true for us too. Even if everybody else lets us down, And people will. They will. You can always count on the faithfulness of God. There's one other question that I have that I'm not sure the story completely answers, but I think the New Testament does. And the other question that I'm left with is, where did David find the emotional healing for the wounds that came as a result of betrayal? Betrayal leaves its victims feeling like they are good for nothing. It leaves its victims feeling unworthy. Betrayal leaves its victims feeling unloved and unaccepted. Where does David find help for that? And where do we find help? The first thing is to realize that all of those feelings are a lie. And that lie comes right from the ultimate betrayer named Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 tells us the truth about us. Here's what it says. It says there that therefore if anyone is in Christ, if anybody has a relationship with Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Listen, if you know know Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with Him, God says of you today, all that stuff in the past, all the pain of the past, I can make you into a new creation. All the old junk, God looks at all that stuff that's happened in the past in your life as if it never happened once you trust Him as your Savior. He makes you into a new creation. Then He says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Now it is God who makes you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our heart as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Listen, you can be sure this morning that God is for you. No matter the pain that you have experienced in the past, you can be sure this morning that God is for you. You know how? 
Because He has placed His Spirit in you, if you're following Him. He has placed His Spirit in you as a guarantee, as a deposit, as a reminder that I am for. And it is the same Spirit, the very same Spirit that gave Jesus the power to overcome death, the same Spirit that brought Jesus back from the grave is the Spirit that lives in you today. And it is God's way of saying to you so clearly this morning, I am for you. I am for you. In fact, I want you to repeat these words with some energy like you mean it this morning. Would you say this? God is for me. I am sure. I am a new creation. Now listen. Don't you listen to the lies of betrayal. You listen to the truth of God who loves you unconditionally and will always be faithful to you. You have to choose. You choose today to leave it all in God's hands and to trust in God's love for you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. And you know what? When He said that, He he included you. Every one of you. God loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He gave Jesus Christ to come to earth and to die on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin so that you could have all of your sins forgiven. You could be washed in His grace, so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but can have eternal life. You can face eternity knowing that you will spend eternity with God. Now listen, the first step this morning for any of us to come awake in our lives, to wake up and to overcome the things we've talked about over the course of the last four weeks, the first step for any of us is to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, to invite Him to be your Savior and the leader of your life to accept the gift that offers to you. And if you have never done that, then before you leave this place today, you need to take that step across the line of faith and make Jesus your Savior. I'm going to be right down here in the front as we wrap up in just a moment. And I invite you to come and have a conversation with me about making Jesus Christ your Savior and the leader of your life. And then you know what happened in the New Testament? Every person who decided to follow Jesus followed that up almost immediately in most cases by being baptized, immersed in water as a way of publicly declaring their faith in Jesus Christ and their desire to follow Him for the rest of the life. And that can happen today too. We've made arrangements to go to a pool that is not too far from here and to baptize anybody who wants to take that step of faith today. So if that's your desire to be baptized, if you'll just meet me down here in the front after we wrap up in a few minutes, we'll make some preparations and together we'll head just a few blocks away and we'll celebrate baptism together. Let me pray for us. God, I thank You that You are for us. God, I ask You today to wake us up in our lives. God, come awake in us. God, help us to live every day with the full assurance that You are for us and that through Your power we can overcome worry, we can overcome addictions. God, we don't have to live in the lives of betrayal. God, wake us up and remind us every day that You are for us. Thank You. In Jesus' precious name we pray.